Well, good morning, Ocean Grove. It is so good to be back with you here in person again this year. It sure, uh, it sure beats my experience last year as a couple days before I was supposed to be down here speaking to you all. Uh, I found out, I was vacationing in California at the time, I found out that in fact, when I came back, I had to quarantine for two weeks, and so instead of being here in this grand auditorium, I stood about five feet away from my phone and preached a message into my phone all by my lonesome. This is better. Yes. Much, much better. Uh, a second, second note before we get into today's message, I just do want to let you know, yes, the book is entitled Scandalous Stories, but it's not anything racy. Literally, the subtitle is a sort of commentary on Jesus' parables. So don't be worried. Pick up a copy in the bookstore, and I'll be happy to sign one for you. All right, let's get into our text for today. We're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 15, verses 21 through 28. Matthew 15, verses 21 through 28. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. Side note, Tyre and Sidon was known for being quite the rampant place of unbelief and paganism. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread, throw it to the dogs. And she said, Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. End of reading. Father, I pray now that you would speak your word clearly as we have already heard your word. Speak what you have given me to say through my all too imperfect and too imperfect and feeble lips to the people that you have gathered here today in person and online. May this word, as you promised to do by the power of your Holy Spirit, create and increase faith. I ask this in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Uh, a while ago, way back before the COVID time, I decided to take my three boys to, I think, what is New Jersey's newest theme park. 
We went to a Nickelodeon Universe over by the Meadowlands. Now, I had been to the location before that's in the Mall of America in Minneapolis with my two older boys, but this is the first time I was taking my, my little guy, Lincoln, who was at the time uh, eight years old. And of course, the older boys wanted to go on all the thrill rides that they have at Nickelodeon Universe because like any theme park, they have a sort of variety of rides and they have quite a few thrill rides. And the older guys, they're teenagers, they wanted to, you know, get their adrenaline up. And of course, Lincoln doesn't want to, you know, he wants to hang. He wants to hang with the big guys. And so he assures me that he's going to go on the big boy rides too. And I got to say, at least at first, he did pretty good. I mean, it was maybe three rides in, he was fine. I mean, there was, a, there was some thrills to it, definitely. But, but he was hanging tough. I mean, he was proven that he belonged with the big boys. And then, then we got to, I believe, don't quote me on this, because I might have it wrong, but I think we got to a ride called the Shredder. And I think the Shredder is the fastest ride in the park. It's got corkscrews and upside-down loops and, you know, the things that a, a real thrill ride has. And I, I thought maybe by that time, as we were waiting in line forever, that he would crack on the way and say, no, 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 Daddy, I don't want to do it. But no, he held firm. I can do it, I can do it, I can do it. And so we got on the ride, and as soon as we got in, boom, they blast us off into supersonic speeds, and I've got my hands raised with glee. And my older boys have their hands raised with glee and are laughing. And Lincoln is not laughing. In fact, I look over and he's got a look of terror in his eyes. And pretty soon the tears come and he's begging me to stop the ride. Daddy, Daddy, stop the ride, stop it! But I think what I remember more than anything else about that moment as I looked at him was his hands holding on to the protective guard. I, I think they're still dense in that guard today. Have you ever faced a situation in your faith that made you feel like you were on the proverbial roller coaster. That you were just, you were begging God to make it stop. That the trial was too much for you to handle. And you just didn't know what to do. In our text that we just read, we meet a mother who is indeed going through such a trial and has been for some time. She, she is facing a daughter who is demon-possessed. We're not told exactly what the daughter's doing, but we know from other accounts about demon possession that it's not particularly pleasant for the home. We know that it must be incredibly difficult for this family. By this point, she has surely tried calling whatever medical professionals were around at the time, Maybe she's gone to the equivalent of the psychotherapist back then to figure out what to do, but nothing, nothing has worked. And she's at the end of herself. And then, then she hears Jesus is coming by. And though he is seeking to withdraw, we're told at the beginning of the text, from his ministry in Galilee for a little while, get a little break, 
apparently she's heard of what he's done. How he can free people enslaved to the devil and how he can heal physical maladies. So she will now go to him for help. The only thing she apparently has left is her faith. Her faith in a God that has the power to free her child from the devil's cruel grip. As we'll see in this story, her faith is so incredible that in many ways she sort of personifies the word through her actions. And so what I want to take time to do with our remaining moments is talk about from this story what it is that faith looks like. What does faith look like? Well, well, first of all, we find right at the beginning, faith looks like begging for mercy from Jesus. Here, verse 22 again, And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Lord, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. Now let's pick this apart just a little bit. First of all, we're told that this mother is from Canaan, or she's a Canaanite. Now, if you're familiar with your Old Testament at all, then, then you might know that Canaanites and Israelites were not friendly. In fact, when the Israelites invaded the Promised Land, they were supposed to wipe out all of the Canaanites. And yet they didn't. And as a result, this woman, a descendant from that group of people, stands before Jesus. But I make this point because, folks, she is the very definition of an outsider to the people of God. However, as, as much of an outsider as she is, she does appear to know something of the man that she speaks to. She calls him by proper title, son of David, Lord. I mean, she seems to know that there's something very special about him. Faith, faith knows the truth about Jesus and comes to him with a heart of submission Nevertheless, she is an outsider. How can she come to the Messiah? How can she pray to him when she has been separated from God's people all the way in the godless tire inside? Perhaps some of you have felt the sting of being an outsider and even more still, you have felt that you are outside of the people of God. For whatever reason, you maybe have never really felt like you fit with the people of God, and you've wondered if you have any business at all coming to the throne of God, asking anything of But this woman doesn't seem to wrestle with such issues at all. Nevertheless, she doesn't come entitled to her Lord. She doesn't come entitled. She comes, again, by his mercy. And based on other stories in the scriptures, like one of my favorites, the, the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, you would expect that like the tax collector in that story, when he cries out to God, have mercy on me, the sinner, just as he is declared to be justified and saved and delivered by Jesus, you would expect him to say the exact same thing to this outsider woman. So it should catch you by surprise 
when you read the response of Jesus. But he didn't answer her a word. Even to a good request, faith is only given silence. Now at this point, I know for me, and I would guess for many of you, if it seems like all we get is silence in response to our requests to God, we're prone to sort of saying, well, might we might even be a little mad about it. But faith, well, faith continues to press in. As a matter of fact, faith starts becoming real naggy. Over and over throughout this story, this mom just refuses to give, give up for her child. In, in Greek, uh, the word for cried out is imperfect. Now, why does that matter? Well, what that tells us is that we could translate it, she kept on crying out. Indeed, she must have been because the disciples, losing their patience, are like, oh, can you please make her be quiet? Send her away. She is irritating us. Real naggy. Mothers can be pretty, pretty persistent on behalf of their children. Frankly, so can fathers. When my wife gave birth to our first son, she had to have an emergency C-section. Jude's heart had stopped beating. It, it all happened so fast. Initially, we had spent long hours of time just talking, waiting for her to be induced. All the while, in the background, we heard the constant sound of the monitor hooked up to my child in the womb, letting us know that his heart was beating. In the background, Eventually, it gets to the point where you don't notice it. At least I didn't notice it. And then, silence. The beeps stopped. My wife noticed it immediately and urged me to get the doctor. Soon, nurses were swarming around her, yelling and working as fast as they could. The doctor eventually came in, rubbing sleep from his eyes, because I think he had just laid down from a nap. Next thing I know, they're wheeling her into the OR without me. I was left outside to face this one alone. Now, earlier that day, we were told by the doctor that upon inspection, my wife had a nodule on her amniotic sac that if popped in the process of giving birth could cause her to bleed to death and there would be really nothing they could do. In the haze of the moment, not only did I begin to think that my son was dead, but I thought that my wife was bleeding out as well. I went into shock. In fact, I was shaking so badly that when the nurse handed me the coveralls that I needed to put on to go into the OR, I couldn't open up the package. She literally had to help me 
put the coveralls on because I couldn't do it. And as the nurse dressed me, I tried to pray, and the only thing that could come out of my mouth were these words. Please, Jesus. Please, Jesus. Please, Jesus. In the time since, I have come to believe that I have never displayed more faith in my life than at that moment. You want to know what great, powerful, victorious faith looks like? It looks like a helpless man, unable to even clothe himself, stammering out through frantic breaths, Please, Jesus. Well, eventually, they got the clothes on me and I was ushered into the operating room and the scene was not what I expected at all. There before me was my wife, awake and smiling. They had a screen sort of right here. She's laying on her back, screen right here. I see my wife smiling. I also see her stomach. And when I say I see her stomach, I mean the inside of it. They had begun the proper the procedure. And apparently they had given my wife something really, really helpful because her first words to me were with a big smile, Hi, honey. <laughs> and then, no joke, this is true, she said these words to me. One day this is going to make a really good sermon illustration. <laughs> And then, well then, they pulled out my boy, alive, kicking and screaming, bursting with new life. <clears throat> now, even as I celebrate God's faithfulness in that story, I do want to acknowledge that this doesn't mean that Jesus will always say yes to all of our faith-filled requests for physical healing in this life or even restoration in this life. And some of you know that all too well. But what I can guarantee is that he will one day, for all who trust in Jesus, restore those things that ail us. Sometimes, sometimes faith doesn't sound like he healed my son. Sometimes faith sounds like Job in the midst of death and pain saying, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Sometimes in response to our requests for healing from our physical maladies, Jesus' answer is not no, but not yet. Nevertheless, one day. That said, being that the mother is pleading on behalf of her daughter for a spiritual condition, spiritual oppression, which we know Jesus promises to answer that plea, you would expect our Lord would hop right to it. But he doesn't. To our great surprise, Jesus, he responds saying, I, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, this was true. His primary mission was to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. What he said was theologically true, but, but we can't help if we read it thinking about experiencing it ourselves, feeling like this is, frankly, a little cold and distant. 
And we may wonder, is this the way that the Lord deals with me? It may seem like it at times. But faith refuses to give in, and so we see faith still worships Jesus. We're told she was just unrelenting. She came and then knelt before him. The word kneel is the same word you see for worship all throughout the New Testament. She kneels, and what does she say? Lord, help me. When God seems to be saying no, when he seems to be far off and distant, when he tests faith, faith kneels down and cries out, help me all the more in worship. Oh, how much, I'm just, I'm confessing to you right now, I have to go through so much sometimes before I'm willing to say those three simple words which should be on my lips all day, every day, Lord, help me. My problem is independence. And it's yours too. Growth in the Christian life always looks like greater dependence. Our problem is thinking we can do it on our own. Faith comes saying, I can't. I need you. Lord, help me. It is not faith in your intentions. It is not faith in your abilities. It is not faith even in your faith. It is faith in Jesus, the author and perfect of faith. John Saul, a pastor friend of mine and author, says God's office is at the end of your rope. It's become one of my favorite quotes because it's so true. The Lord will never turn away from a cry for help when someone is asking for deliverance and forgiveness of their sins. Never. Nevertheless, in this shocking story, he appears to be doing so. What does he say to her? Well, it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Jesus responds even to her worship of him with what frankly sounds like an insult. And it would have been perceived as such. As if it wasn't enough for him to ignore her, as if it weren't enough for him to remind her that she wasn't part of the people that he came for, now he compares her to a dog. But this faith just won't give up. Saving her child from the grips of the devil is what she is after, and therefore she won't stop. How will she respond to these perceived insults? Insults? Will she accept them? Sure. Okay, fine. Whatever. I'm the dog. Ooh, but even the dogs get the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Man, man, I love that response. Oh, what wonderful faith continues to come in the seeming hearing of a no, when the whole world says no, even when Jesus seems to be saying no, faith still comes. 
The great reformer Martin Luther quipped about this story, is that not a masterly stroke as a reply? She catches Christ with his own words. He compares her to a dog. She conceives it and asks nothing more than he let her be a dog as he himself judged her to be. Where will Christ now take refuge? He is caught. Now this may sound a bit irreverent to you. I understand that. To say that that this faith caught Christ in his words, but there's a deeply significant spiritual point here that needs to be comprehended. Again, Luther explains, like when Jesus rebukes this poor woman calling her a dog, when we feel in our conscience that God rebukes us as sinners and judges us unworthy of the kingdom of heaven, then we, we, it's like we experience hell and we think we are lost forever. But that is just the time, listen carefully, but that is just the time that we come to God with his own words. When we admit that saying, Lord, it is true, I am a sinner and not worthy of your grace. But still, you have promised sinners forgiveness. And you have not come to call the righteous, you said so, but to save sinners. Then must God, according to his own judgment, have mercy on us. Indeed. The response of Jesus is immediate. Oh woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed, saved, delivered, forgiven. And the same thing happens to you here today. When your sins are thrown in your face and even when it appears that all you hear is a no, you come and say, yes, I admit I deserve a no. I don't deserve grace, it's true, but Lord Jesus, you've lived perfectly in my place. You've died the death my sins deserve, and you've risen from the dead. You've ascended to the right hand of God. You've promised you're interceding for me. Lord, you have promised that by this work of yours, my sins are paid for and atoned for and covered. You have promised I will be forgiven. So give me those crumbs that fall from the table. And I can guarantee you, he will. To all who call out to him, he promises he will save. Way back in the 1900s, when I was a teenager... Attending youth group, we had a youth leader named, uh, named Dan Allen. And the way this youth group went, some of you who were teenagers during this time, this will sound very familiar. We, after uh, some worship time, we would, we would break off into small groups uh, for, for prayer requests. And Dan would ask us, go around the circle, four or five of us, what, what do you have to pray for? And, and most everybody, you know, the prayers are like, I have, you know, two or three unspokens. I, the unspoken, you know, I got an unspoken. Or some would be bold enough to say, like, pray for my math test. Or maybe even some would be bold enough to say, like, I'm going to ask out so-and-so this week, and I want the Lord to make her say yes, you know. <laughs> but Dan's prayer, Dan's prayer request was consistent every single week. 
He prayed the same thing. I mean, he'd pray for other things too, but he'd always pray this one. He'd say, pray for my brother that he would get saved. And this would happen, I mean, every single week. Dan, what do you have to pray for? Pray that my brother gets saved. Next week, Dan, pray that my brother gets saved. I mean, this went on for, this went on for so long that I remember as a teenager just coming to the faith thinking like, I think God's got the message. I think he knows what you want. And he being a wiser, more mature Christian than me said, no, no, God tells us to be persistent. God tells us to keep coming, so I'm going to keep coming. Pray that my brother would be saved. And then, and then, one week we broke into our prayer request group and Dan's prayer was was different. He did not say, pray that my brother would get saved. No, he said, pray for my brother. Last week, he called out to the Lord and was saved. So in closing here, I say to you, Today, like my friend and like this woman in our story, don't stop. Don't stop coming to Jesus saying, help me. No matter how it may seem in the moment, remember that you can know for certain is that it is his desire to bring people to repentance and faith in his name. Don't stop. Don't stop coming. And you say, I, I wish I had faith like that. Well, friends, I got good news for you. The Bible tells us that faith comes by hearing the word And you know what you just heard? The Word. And I believe the Holy Spirit has the power to indeed give us the endurance like this woman to keep coming. The throne of grace. Keep coming back. He hears you. He loves you. He cares for you. If you ever doubt that, remember to look to the cross and be reminded again and again that he is faithful to you. He is interceding for you. He is working for your good. Let us pray. Father, I thank you for even in the times where, like this woman, we feel as if you're not hearing us, I thank you that that we have this picture of what it looks like to have faith. Father, what's most important about said faith is faith's object. And so let let us come boldly, not just today, not just on Sundays, but every day, to your throne of grace, that we may find strength in our time of need. There's never a time that we're not needy. 
So let us boldly rush the throne of grace as we do now and be confidently assured that you are with us, that you will never leave us nor forsake us. May I ask this in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen.